Let us pray together. Dear God, we thank you for the precious gift of your word, your written word, that brings to us, introduces us to your living word, Jesus Christ. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, may his life, his orientation, his action guide and direct our own. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever noticed how wonderful it is that in the Bible we meet and hear about Jesus in quadraphonic sound and not in mono? We get four Gospels and not just one. And each of these Gospels in its own unique way, because of who that gospel writer is, tells us things about Jesus that are absolutely crucial to our understanding and that we would not have unless we had that gospel. Let me give you an example. The gospel of Luke is the one that tells us in particular detail about the special role that women play in the ministry of Jesus. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and many others, Luke tells us, are not only Jesus' followers, but his benefactors. Did you ever notice that? Luke chapter 8. They share with Jesus out of their own abundant resources. And something similar is happening in our gospel reading today in Luke, or excuse me, in Mark, where Mark highlights a detail about Jesus that is only found in his gospel. It comes right after a group of Pharisees comes to argue with him. Did you notice that? They come to argue with him. (laughs) And they demand a sign And did you notice how Jesus then responds? He sighs deeply in his spirit. How come these folks want miracles and fireworks when through him the kingdom of God, the reign of God is already touchable and at hand right before them? There's also another story right before this one in chapter 7 about Jesus sighing yet again. These are the only two times in all of the New Testament that we hear Jesus sighing. And in the second example in chapter 7, it comes right before Jesus heals a deaf man. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but physically, what is sighing? We have some doctors here. They could perhaps tell us. What is its physical function? Well, we all know what it actually does. We, we inhale a large amount of air, air, right? And then we let it out, often in a really loud way. Uh, sometimes that lets other people hear it as well. 
And some of you are looking at each other. I know in some of our families, some people are known especially as sires, aren't they? Now, science tells us that sighing serves a very important physical purpose. It is a physical reset button on our breathing. We fill our lungs with fresh air and it gets us out of our earlier pattern of shallow or irregular breathing. Interesting, isn't it? It's what we do, and I invite us to have a little fun now. Let's sigh together about some stuff. It's what we do when we get stuck in traffic on Friday afternoon on 283. Come on, you got to give a groan in there too. It's what we do when we've forgotten our computer password again. Happened to a friend of mine yesterday, right in front of me. It's what happens when a preacher's sermon goes way too long. That that was too loud. So it communicates disappointment, frustration, annoyance. Some people sigh a lot when they're bored. But friends, there's also a sign that arises from a deep, much deeper place within us. It happens when we contemplate the tremendous gap between the way that our world is right now and the way that God intends for it to be. It happens when we sigh with God and God sighs within us. And haven't we all been sighing in this way this past week about the plight of children so cruelly separated from their parents at our borders? Haven't we been sighing about the profound trauma that these separations are causing. And at times like this, Scripture beautifully tells us that the Holy Spirit is also praying within us with sighs too deep for words. And friends, it is this kind of deeper sign, I believe, that we hear in Jesus today. It is not the sign of resignation, defeat, or immobility. Instead, it is a spiritual and psychological reset. And it leads Jesus into faithful action. Something else that our friend Mark, the Gospel writer, highlights about Jesus today is the way that he crosses over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee three different times. In Mark 4.35 today, Jesus tells his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And then this happens again 
in 645 and in 813. And since our friend Mark is this kind of narrator who is always in a hurry, he has the shortest gospel. In Mark, the action is constant. Commentators notice then this repetition three times that no other gospel has, and they feel that it's especially noteworthy. But what does it mean? Well, here, a little geography lesson is helpful to take in the full significance of this repetition. And I'm drawing here on Ched Meyer's wonderful commentary commentary on Mark that some of you studied earlier this spring. If you look at your bulletin map of the Sea of Galilee, and in the prayer room just now I was asked, what are the dimensions of the Sea of Galilee? We googled. I knew my password. It's 13 miles long, 8 miles wide, and if you want to walk around it, it's 33 miles. You can see if you look at that map how the Jordan River flows into the lake at the top, at the north, and then it flows out of the lake at the bottom, at the south. This river, in its day, serves as a boundary line dividing the Jewish side to the left from the Gentile side on the right. Just as King Street here in our city sometimes is seen to divide our city racially and economically. So with this physical geography in mind, we suddenly discover that all three of Jesus' boat crossings to the other side take him from the, Gent- the Jewish side over to the gentle, Gentile territory. Three times he's heading into territory that's con- uh, considered defiled and unclean by his own people. So with you following along, let's just look briefly at these, each of these three stories. The first one occurs in chapter 4, when Jesus crosses over from Capernaum in the north down to the southeast to the region of the Gerasenes. And you'll remember that it's there that he heals that Gentile who is so deeply troubled, who is called a demoniac. A second crossing takes place in chapter 6, when Jesus crosses from a deserted place over into Gentile territory at Bethsaida. A third crossing happens in chapter 8. You can follow along on those numbers. As I mentioned early, this is where Jesus sighs deeply. He meets the Pharisees. And then after he has encountered them, he crosses over in a boat into Gentile territory where he heals a blind man. Now the interesting thing is that there's actually one more crossing over story 
from Jesus in this part of Mark. But it doesn't happen over water, but it happens over land. This is the story in chapter 7, and you can see it in the far north part of your map, where Jesus crosses over into Gentile territory and heals the daughter, remember, of the Syrophoenician woman. That's deep into Gentile territory. So taken together, all four of these stories help to build Mark's central case that Jesus is the Messiah who has come to open wide God's door of salvation and healing to all of the nations. And these crossing over stories, in each of them we see Jesus breaking through barriers of geography, of religion, of ethnicity, moving toward those who have been long excluded and bringing to them God's grace and salvation. And through Jesus, and through Jesus, we see the sign of these long excluded and long suffering people coming to an end. But I'd be remiss this morning if I didn't draw our attention also to what happens today when Jesus and his disciples cross over from the Jewish to the Gentile side. A great storm swamps their boat. In fact, if you look at your bulletin cover, we could just simply say, all hell breaks loose. Through this storm, Mark is drawing our attention to one of the great archetypal symbols of the Bible. As we see in the stories of Noah, Jonah, and the crossing of the Red Sea, the sea symbolizes in the Bible the realm of chaos. It represents all the cosmic forces that seek to oppose God and to thwart God's purposes. This helps us to understand, for example, why in Revelation 21, at the end of our Bible, it says that after the coming of God's new heaven and new earth, the sea will be no more. There will be no more chaos. The forces of evil will be vanquished. And in our story today, we see these cosmic forces throwing everything they have at Jesus, blocking, trying to block him from crossing over to the other side. A great windstorm arises. Waves beat on the boat. Water pours into the hull. It's a terrifying image. And friends, in the same way, those who follow Jesus to cross social boundaries, whether then or now, can also expect fierce opposition, hostility, 
and obstruction. Now, hearing myself say that, I feel such a sense of irony. Because back when I was 16 and was baptized, I just thought for sure that becoming a follower of Jesus meant that he would be taking away all of my storms. Did any of you feel that? And I just thought for sure that I'd be guaranteed a life of smooth sailing. But now, I pretty much believe the opposite. I mean, friends, if you want a safe, risk-free life, don't follow Jesus. Because the more we follow Him, the more He leads us to notice and to sigh deeply about the suffering of others, especially the most vulnerable in our world, and then leads us to take faithful and sometimes risky action. Jesus never offers us a storm-free, wind-free, wave-free life, except on TV from certain televangelists. What he does promise, I believe, is that whatever storm you may be in, and some of us are in some big storms right now, whatever storm you may be in, He will never leave or forsake you. Fear not, He says to us again and again and again, I will always be with you. Now, it is true in our story today, Jesus does actually take away the storm, doesn't he? Showing that the powers of chaos are no match for God. Yet, did you notice in the conversation that follows, Jesus is clearly suggesting that God's greatest gift is not peace from every storm, but peace in every storm. Not peace from the storm, but peace in it. I wonder, as I've been speaking, sharing with you here in these moments, if perhaps you've already been feeling the Holy Spirit prompting you to cross over to the other side in some way in your own life. Or maybe bringing to mind a way that our congregation can do this together. Let me share personally that this past year, the Holy Spirit has been working on me to cross over to the other side by connecting with neighbors of color, both near and far. I now see my walk, you know, when I was traipsing all over the city. I think that's what was at the heart of 
God's call for me to do that. So was our uh, visit just 10 days ago. I felt this magnet pull uh, to go down to the National Lynching Memorial in Montgomery, Alabama. And I did that with Danette and my sister and nephew. My sister and nephew are black. So that was a very powerful experience to drive two hours back and forth and to process what we had heard and seen, to get a better sense of how they are experiencing life in our nation. Black friends, black writers, black family members have been helping me slowly, it's been slow work, to see the pervasive reality of white supremacy in our, in our nation. A reality that, honestly, I've been completely blind to. And I think for the first time in my life, I'm beginning to hear their sighing. They're groaning. Just three days ago, a friend texted me these words. I feel so hurt by the way our world is going. I don't think I've ever felt so insecure about being African American. I don't think I've ever felt so insecure about being African American. So that's a little glimpse into my own journey. What might this crossing over mean for you? Maybe across religious lines, family lines, across political lines. And I'm not talking probably about something big and heroic. Although God may have that for you. But most likely in each of our lives, is something small but courageous. Small but courageous. Because, friends, here's the thing. Here's the thing. These crossing over experiences are also the times when the reign of God feels more touchable when the presence of Jesus feels more real, and when each of us feels more alive than ever before. Amen.